This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you as always. Really appreciate you uh, making the time uh, for the Hut, as it as it were. Uh, exciting news for all of you. Um, the Buck Sexton with America Now show from 6 to 9 Eastern on Premier Radio Networks. Over 100 stations, you know, national syndication. You can listen to it on the Blaze stream from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., which is great. So i got five hours of Buck on the Blaze radio stream. And also, you can now download it on iTunes. So those of you who have been saying, Buck, I want to listen to the podcast. I can't listen live. Go on iTunes. Type in Buck Sexton with America Now or just Buck Sexton. Look for Buck Sexton with America Now. Sorry, repeating my name so much even sounds weird to me. Um, but you can read it there. So please do uh, give it give it a shot, and uh, we'll check it out. Um, or you can check it out there. I mean, I've probably already checked it out because I did the show. So um, you know, there's <laughs> there's the Trump agenda that's unveiled this week, or we're seeing more of it, and the immigration orders and. And I, I get the sense that the the media is a little caught off guard by how quickly the Trump administration rebounded from last week's uh, General Flynn situation. I, th- I think they were assuming that this would be a terrible debacle that would stretch out and maybe there'd be a couple of more uh, very senior current or former military officers who would turn down the post of National Security Advisor to this president and sure enough, he got McMaster. I don't even. I don't know if it's possible. I don't think I would have made any different pick. I don't think it's possible to make a better pick. So now you have the national security establishment for the first time saying, you know, Trump's got a really good team in place. Across the board, at the top levels of this government, the national security team he has in place is excellent. And you compare, and I include Tillerson in that, but... Maybe some of them still have their concerns about Tillerson. I think those will be put to rest quickly. I'm amazed at how many people seem to think that an American, a Texan, no less, worth hundreds of millions of dollars, is going to be influenced by his former business relationships such that he would not do what was best for his country when his job, his oath, is to serve the American people in his country. 
the journalists need to get a grip. I can tell you this. If I were $300 million and I was put in charge of this nation's anything, you know, whether it was the Department of, you know, I don't know, Bureau of Land Management or it was International Affairs of the State Department and Secretary of State, uh, I would certainly be very difficult to compromise uh, financially or otherwise in the interest of some foreign state. And I would like to think, certainly, I, I wouldn't be able to be bought off even if I was a just a poor, uh, poor average Joe like I am right now. I shouldn't say poor, right? Poverty is a very relative thing, but you know what I mean. Just a nor- I'm a normal guy, just trying to pay bills and you know keep the keep the rent uh, on time. But they've got a great team in place now: McMaster, Mattis, um, Tillerson. These are all and uh, Kelly at DHS. These are are excellent. Uh, excellent choices. And so now then that narrative has to change. Last week it was, well, the national security advisor is not, you know, is bad. He's in Russia's pocket. And look, Trump doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, the White House. The White House is in disarray. The White House is in disarray. Well, that didn't last very long. The White House hasn't been in disarray for very long at all. Um, so there you have it. Now they need to come up with something new. I don't think they want the American people spending too much time on this very simple and straightforward proposition, which goes as follows. Donald Trump has the radical and revolutionary idea for our immigration laws uh, that you could summarize with the following. He will enforce immigration laws as they are written. Or at least will try to enforce them across the board as they are written. He will not uh, pretend that the laws, federal laws for immigration do not exist. And he's going to take some steps within the government bureaucracy to make it easier for those who, um, to make it easier for those who are trusted, entrusted with enforcing immigration laws to do so. That doesn't sound crazy to me. I don't think it sounds crazy to you. And yet there is a need, of course, the media to change the subject. They want to keep Trump on defense because if he's able to focus on policy, and if the Congress can get their butts in gear a little bit here, because now I am starting to lose patience, and I, I've been losing it, but now I'm going to be a little more vocal about it. What do we pay all these clowns to do exactly in D.C.? They're all being paid by the taxpayer. They've got great health care, let me tell you. I know about it. Um, I had federal government health care for a while. It was phenomenal. It was like, oh, you mean, really? Like, you're going to do... You know, I, I can get a shiatsu massage and pay nothing, or I can have open heart surgery and pay 20 bucks. Like, this is a pretty good deal I've got here. Congress has fantastic health care. They've got great benefits. You serve in Congress. I think you even get some sort of stipend uh, afterwards. You know, you're, you're, you get money for retirement. Anyway, what are we paying them for? They're not blowing my socks off right now with all of the amazing things that they are doing in D.C. for the American people with the power that has been given to them by the American people. Not at all. And I, I, I'm hearing about 200-day plans and we're working and Obamacare is so complicated, so complicated. Why is it so complicated? The way they've been talking about it for a long time is pretty straightforward. So let's be very clear about this. I'm not saying if it wasn't for the media, Republicans would be you know, charging around fields of barley on white stallions, waving the American flag and and uh, singing the national anthem, I, I think that they would have... That's kind of a nice... Didn't I, I just painted a nice image for all you guys. Do you enjoy that one? Uh, there would be problems nonetheless, 
but at least they would be issues of constructive, worthwhile criticism. At least the focus of the American people, if that were underway, would be on should we do this or not do this? Is this good for us or not? That's not what the media wants to focus on. They want to call Trump. They were calling Trump a traitor last week. You've got these far left groups that are saying he's Hitler. In fact, I'll play one for you later on in the show, which I'm borrowing from Tucker Carlson tonight They on Fox News last night. It was just hilarious. It was hilarious and a little terrifying at the same time that anybody could be this uh, this out of touch, this bizarro in their view of the world. But nonetheless, it was it was amusing. Um, they think that Pence and Trump are are worse than Hitler, even because they have nukes. That's the new story. That's the new uh, way to get attention for yourself. Wor- worse than worse than Hitler. Uh, this is the, this is a level of insanity that I I did not expect us to get to even under Trump administration in terms of the opposition to him. But here we are. Okay. All right. So, but I want to talk to you about policy. We'll do some of that, of course. We'll discuss immigration, the new immigration executive order, which I'm assuming is going to come out in the next couple of days. I've been hearing it will. And what all that means, of course, we have fantastic guests joining as well today. And yet, what does the media want to focus on? You know, for most people, I understand. I, I was, when I was in the CIA, I spent a lot of days or a lot of my day reading about very granular tactical intelligence. Uh, very localized to certain areas of the world and looking in at our collection platforms and the information that we gathered through classified and unclassified means. Uh, but of course, I would stay up on the news cycle. And that's, you know, you can't be in all places at once. So your perception of what's going on in this country is largely determined by the places you go for your information. And it is a story. It's a narrative. Right? It's a, a a grouping of perceptions put together from which you will draw conclusions and also you will have your own sense of what the status quo is in this country and what the trajectory is of this country and all of you get that from the news cycle it affects our perceptions all that, I mean if you listen to the show you care about the news cycle so this is this matters to all of us in different ways but it matters to all of us and You'd like to think that there would be robust discussions going on about uh, what Trump is trying to do, what he's trying to accomplish. But no, our our, uh, our friend Kaylee McEnany, whom I've known, those of you who have been who were watching Real News back in the day on the Blaze TV, will remember Kaylee was a a pretty frequent panelist for a little while. Then she's did a lot more Fox, and now she's over at CNN. And I will say that she's a very nice, very polite. Uh, very sweet lady, and she's always been always been incredibly friendly uh, to me. I, I mean that in like a normal, nice way. Everybody, I mean, she's always been very nice to me. And so when I see her getting berated in a way that they would never allow, they would never allow a revered leftist female guest to get berated in this way over ridiculous accusations of how Trump is an anti-Semite. Now this is the story. This is why people don't trust the media. The fact that CNN thinks that this is a news story is all you really need to know about why, one, people say, yeah, fake news. Very, very fake news. And two, it stings over there. It bothers them because I think there's a desperation. You know, Last week they thought, all right, we've scored one against Trump. Actually, no, it didn't last very long. But let's play this. Uh, the CNN panel with Trump. At, with uh, on Trump's anti-Semitism, you are using fake news arguments. We hear play it. 
please? Brent, thank Hello? you very much. And out front now, the executive director of the Anne Frank Center for Mutual Respect, Stephen Goldstein, and Trump supporter Kaylee McEnany. So, Stephen, uh, after Trump's remarks today, uh, you came out very forcefully. You wrote, uh, the president's sudden acknowledgement is a Band-Aid on the cancer of anti-Semitism that has infected his own administration. His statement today is a pathetic asterisk of condescension. Make no mistake, the anti-Semitism coming out of this administration is the worst we have ever seen. That is a serious charge. Absolutely. Aaron, time and again, this president has had an opportunity to condemn anti-Semitism. He had a chance to include Jews in Holocaust remembrance. He didn't. He had a chance to speak out against the desecration of Jewish cemeteries this weekend. He didn't. He had a chance to speak out against bomb threats against JCCs, and he didn't. Today, when he was forced, obviously by some staffers, because it came several news cycles after, he finally spoke out. Is our country can we, can we hit the pause so on this for one second? Hit the pause on this for one second, if I may. So, if we can, thank you. And, and, and Shimon, please keep us in this bookmark uh, where we are in that clip. I want to go back to it, to where he berates Kaylee. And I mean, I, you know, Kaylee can handle herself, but I kind of wanted to para drop in there and be like, really? Why don't you talk to me that way, tough guy? Uh, but they they never put me in those positions over there at CNN. Um, anyway, oh my. Uh, I just want to n- note this, then we'll come back to this on the other side of the break. Uh, <laughs> he's saying that he had the opportunity to address and he didn't. He had the opportunity to address this other thing and he didn't. And this is the case that he's pulling together this case to say that Trump is an anti-Semite because he did not address the following. And then you'll notice he goes and then he finally addressed it yesterday. Um, OK, so the, the, the turnaround for not addressing anti-Semitism enough in this guy's view is if you don't get to it in the first 24 hours, then you're an anti-Semite. Wow. That's quite a charge. This guy is not credible. This guy is not somebody whose judgment anybody should be subjected to on a national news broadcast. Why is CNN giving him this platform? Why are they letting some loon go on TV to make completely ridiculous charges about anti-Semitism? Oh, because they'd rather talk about, is does Trump hate Jews, question mark, instead of, is he going to have an executive order that the judges can't overturn this week? Is he going to take actions on immigration that are overwhelmingly popular with the American people? Is he going to get tax reform through with Congress? And that's going to cause a boom in the economy and real growth in GDP and productivity. No, no. Let's talk about whether Trump's an anti-Semite. Now, I know you're saying, Buck, you're talking about it. Yeah, but I don't want to let them get away with this because we're going to talk about that other stuff, too. But, team, we got to go into a break. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 
800-442-7043. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. So we've got uh, Kelly McEnany up against this guy. I, I don't know what his background or who I, I'm, I'm not sure what his uh, CV is. But he's calling Trump an anti-Semite because he wouldn't speak out against anti-Semitism. And then he sort of transitions very, very abruptly into, well, he didn't speak about it fast enough, I mean, which is clearly not the same thing, especially when the timeline is a couple of days. And Kaylee tries to uh, defend, as she does. She Look, she defends the Trump administration. She went all in on Trump in the very beginning, and it has been a huge benefit to her career. And uh, she's been, you know, you got to give her credit for, for picking the right horse. Uh, but anyway she's defending Trump, and this is how the... Remember, this is on Aaron Burnett's primetime CNN show. They've got some guy calling the president an anti The most anti-Semitic president ever. Really? He said that. More anti-Semitic than Nixon? More anti-Semitic than LBJ? More anti-Semitic than Woodrow Wilson? I mean, go down the line, people. That is a... Comp- it's just an, a, an idiotic thing to say. A baseless and idiotic thing to say. But that's what he said. Okay, let's hear what Kaylee, let's hear the exchange. And I want you to note something, because remember, I've been on the inside of this beast, and we may be talking about it more tonight. I'm hoping we'll get a chance to talk about it with James O'Keefe, who's going to be exposing the way mainstream media newsrooms really function and how they really treat people. Um, You know, I I was, at first they figured maybe that I could be uh, kept in place and they would uh, be able to mold me into into an inoffensive conservative who you know, plays by the plays by the rules of the house and no in fact that was not what i wanted to do and so they had very little use for me i digress uh but i want you to notice how this is a a young female uh, political commentator and how this guy's allowed to speak to her and how the the host does not jump in aaron burnett just sort of sits back and lets kelly get verbally pummeled by this imbecile play it he read said the words for those wanting to give the president a fair chance you would have heard him condemn anti-Semitism. I have his exact quote from the first time he was asked, asked this question. He said, I want peace in this country. I want to stop crime and long-simmering racism. That sounds like a condemnation to me. But some people on the left are using the veil, the veil of anti-Semitism and the charge of anti-Semitism to further their own political causes. It's dangerous. I agree with Alan Dershowitz fully that we should not be use, loosely throwing this term around. And I, I've got to ask you straight on. So you think the president does not like Jews and is pre- prejudiced against Jews? You think that about the president of the United States? You bet. And do you know wow. why? And wow, it's right, Kaylee. Do you know why? Does he hate his daughter? You, does he hate you know his daughter? You know what, Kaylee? You know what, Kaylee? I am tired of commentators like you from the right trotting out his daughter, trotting out his son-in-law as talking points against the president's anti-Semitism. They are Jewish, but that is not a talking point against anti-Semitism. And that is a disgrace. Have you no no ethics than to invoke invoke people's religion as a talking point? That itself is anti-Semitic. You'll notice, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, nice shooting, Tex. Let's pause it for a second. Where's where's Aaron Burnett on that? You've got a young woman here who's being he's got a guy. He turns to her. You can't see the video screaming in her face or yelling in her face. You know, you know, you have no or have you no ethics? It's just well, she's just making her points. Why is it about how she has no ethics? And and this notion that it's it's not a it's not worth bringing up 
that this this complete moron, whoever this guy is, this just absolute imbecile, made a fool of himself on TV, but of course served the purposes of the left. So they'll they'll give him a platform. They'll bring him on. Uh, I used to go. I was on Aaron Burnett show a number of times, and there was like, well, I mean, you know, are you really qualified to talk about ISIS operations in Iraq? I was like, well, I mean, I. I worked on it for five years when it was Al Qaeda in Iraq and served in numerous places in Iraq and briefed the president on issues pertaining to counterterrorism. And, you know, but no, 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 have have another, you know, have Van Jones explain counterterrorism. Bring him on. He's going to give us the real insight. Place is ridiculous. But I digress. Um, where was I? I was I got a little fired up there for a second. Oh, yeah. Notice she doesn't jump in. She They give this guy a platform and he's allowed to. Uh, pummel verbally Kaylee McEnany here and go after her. And this is very important. Always keep in mind when the host or the moderator or whatever they're calling the anchor um, allows someone to get personally attacked. It's never, but it's never an accident because if someone on the right ever gets personal at CNN with somebody who's of course on the left, it's, Oh no, no, no. Hey, 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 let's focus back on the discussion. You know, there's always, they always want to cool that down because they know the audience, which is 95% Democrat, 90% Democrat is going to get mad. They know that they're playing to a Democrat audience all the time. That's their bread and butter. So they protect Democrats and they allow for the slander of Republicans. And this guy is just slandering the president. I mean, this is, this is a, a complete and utter disgrace. And I don't know what it's going to take for these newsrooms to wake up and maybe have some representation from the other side and start trying to at least be fair. They don't have to be advocates, but be fair to the Republican Party. But they won't do it. And they expect us to change. I don't think so. We got more coming. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Show. David Michigan, wanted to get you in here before we get to our next guest. What's up? Hey, Buck. Shields high, brother. Shields high. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was just calling. Uh, really appreciate your uh, you know your uh, insights and uh, your conclusions that you're coming to. You know what the media's doing, how they're just so out of control. Um, I kind of had some of that. Uh, my wife has been, been trying to keep her up on what's going on and kind of bring her around. You know, a lot of the stuff, she kind of thought I was kind of like a conspiracy theorist for a long time. We've been together now for uh, eight years, but she's really starting to get it now, and she sees how everything is just opinion. There's no real news being reported anymore. You know, we, we kind of watch Yeah, they're, they're activists. They're activists dressed up as journalists. That's what you've got all over the place. But, Dave, thanks exactly. for calling in from Michigan, man. Shield yeah. tie. I appreciate it. Um, Andy McCarthy, our friend, he's a former uh, assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District. He's a best-selling author, contributing editor at National Review. Andy, thanks for making time. Buck, it's my pleasure. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Uh, so, all right, a couple things. We've got a few pieces I wanted to get to on NationalReview.com. Uh, but Omar Abdel Rahman, the blind sheikh is dead. You know a lot about this guy. What should we be thinking about in the aftermath of the passing of the very evil individual known as the blind sheikh? Well, I, I think, Buck, that what the country ought to take away is sort of what, what hit me over the head while I was getting ready to prosecute him. And that is that if you consider the blind shake 
he was physically incapable of doing anything that would be useful to a terrorist organization. Uh, he couldn't build a bomb, couldn't hijack a plane, couldn't execute uh, an assassination. The only thing he was evidently fit to do was lead the organization. And I think what that should underscore for us is the centrality of ideology to the threat that has really been posed against us for a generation now. Uh, his authority over terrorist operations and over terror cells, not just in, in, uh, uh, in the West, but worldwide, owed to the fact that he was a renowned scholar of uh, Sharia jurisprudence, of uh, basically of, of Islamic law. And it was his mastery over the doctrine that gave him the authority to command acts of mass murder. And I think that ought to underscore for us that what we're dealing with is not and has never been, you know, wanton killers who don't have a, a method and a purpose behind their activities. And it's to our own real detriment that we continue to keep our head in the sand about what the ideology is. I think you make a really important point. I remember when uh, Zarqawi made this, you know, Zarqawi was out there. People realized that he, he's actually not somebody who was uh, an, an effective combatant. He wasn't uh, skilled with weapons, but he was just a sadist and had a, a force of personality with people um, and had a criminal had a criminal mindset stretching back for a long time that allowed him to rise up in the ranks of and eventually lead Al Qaeda in Iraq. Uh, Anwar Al-Awlaki. This is not a guy that would have been frightening to walk past in a dark alley. He's not somebody that you would have wanted at your side in a bar fight, or you would have cared much if he was on the other side. But clearly, he was a, a major threat to the U.S., to U.S. citizens, and to our interests around the world. So it it, it does underscore the point about how this is an ideological war, um, and the people that are the most dangerous in some ways are the ones that have uh, the greatest belief, but also the greatest ability to disseminate those ideas. Yeah, I, I think that's totally right. I mean, we're in a we're in a era in the West where, because uh, religious fervor uh, is not in the West what it once was, I think that we discount the possibility that other cultures could feel differently about it. Uh, but the fact that this this ideology comes to us in the veneer of religion. And people who we refer to, the blind shake was consistently referred to as a cleric. Uh, and that's really our practice with, uh, with Islam because we kind of project, uh, Western, uh, ideas about religion onto Islam. But he really wasn't a cleric. I would call him a, a jurisprudent, um, or, or really a, a legal authority. And I think we, we intensify our misunderstanding of Islam when we when we do things like call the religious leaders uh, of the Islamist movement uh, clerics instead of jurists, and when we refer to the mosque as a house of worship, when in fact you know you're dealing with a uh, a culture at least in fundamentalist Islam where there's no division between politics and spirituality, and the mosque is actually a, a political and tactical headquarters every bit as much as it's a, a house of worship. So I, I just think we need to understand their ideology better. And what what was he like? I assume you you, you were part of the prosecution uh, of, and this is for p 
people who may not know, First World Trade Center bombing, he's it fair to call him the mastermind? I mean, he was... Yes. I, I was the lead prosecutor, and he didn't know much English, but he used to call me Shake Andy. Um, and the, the reason for that, he and his uh, lawyer, Lynn Stewart, who I also got to know fairly well, and who has, uh, who has since, of course, been uh, prosecuted herself for material support to terrorism for uh, ferreting his, uh, his messages out of Wait, his de- his defense his defense team. I didn't know this. That somebody on the team was prosecuted for taking his messages to terrorists. Yes, years later, Lynn Stewart, who was his lawyer at trial, was prosecuted uh, for material support to terrorism and convicted because she smuggled messages of his out of the jail. Uh, and it, this was long after it was after he was convicted and all his appeals had run. So she really wasn't performing the traditional role of counsel, but she was allowed to meet with him because she had been his lawyer and she would communicate messages, including one message where uh, he notified his uh, his terrorist organization in Egypt, the Mat al-Islamiyah, also known as the Islamic group, that he no longer considered viable a ceasefire that they had had with the Mubarak government. So, you know, some of the stuff that she put out was pretty uh, was pretty dangerous. Did um, she not? I mean, so was, was her claim that she was just, you know, that, that he was uh, giving her sealed messages, you know, to, to his aunt or something? You know what I mean? Or, or, or was she aware? She was totally aware. She had to sign documents before she was allowed to see him. Uh, you know, understanding that, uh, you know, she didn't have a, r- a right to do that and promising that she wouldn't. But it's not, you know, she was, Lynn was uh, one of these self-styled radical lawyers who thought that, uh, you know, essentially to, to draw an analogy that uh, if you rob a bank, but you rob it in broad daylight where everyone can see, what's what's the big problem? So, you know, Lynn didn't like secretly funnel the blind shakes messages she you know she'd get the message and then she'd have a press conference and that's how she put the the messages out uh, it was still a crime but it was uh the fact that it was more brazen um seemed to her i guess to wow. be a defense the jury wow. didn't see it okay that so so you said that the blind shake used to call you just i'm, I'm sure people are i'm curious i'm assuming others are too used to call you shake andy yeah well a, a lot of our trial against him buck was uh, based on intercepted conversations and speeches and the like that he had given uh, in various contexts. He was a very prolific writer and speaker, but of course he spoke only Arabic. So to present those to the jury, uh, we had to translate them into English and then read them to the jury. And because there were 12 different defendants, what you try to do in a case like that is each, to the extent you can, the same lawyer reads the same person's part uh, because there's, you know, numerous conversations that you're going to go through. So just as it happened, uh, I tended to read uh, his speeches and and parts. And as a result, uh, he used to sort of uh, semi-jokingly refer to me as Shake Andy uh, in a way that with that that kind of um, expression that suggested to you that um, this might not go so well for me if we weren't in this nice American courtroom with all these nice U.S. Marshals providing security. <laughs> ah, I see. <laughs> it was that kind of shake Andy. All right. That kind yeah, of he, shake this, Andy, this, right. 
Yeah, this is a he's a bad he's a bad dude. I know people say don't speak ill of the dead. No, this this one we're yeah. gonna speak ill of. No, um, and I want to talk to you about immigration. Uh, do you mind staying through the break with us, and we'll get you on the other side? No, sure. Sure. Happy okay, great. Guys, we've got Andy McCarthy, okay. National Review, nationalreview.com for his latest pieces. He prosecuted the blind shakes. You want to read his piece on that. And we're going to talk immigration on the flip side with Andy McCarthy in just a few. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, we've got Andy McCarthy with us still. He's a former federal prosecutor for the Southern District here in New York City and National Review contributing editor, best-selling author, too. Uh, Andy, you working on a book, by the way? When's the next one? Uh, still thinking about it, Buck, but uh, I'll pick your brain one of these days. Actually, be interesting <laughs> okay. to talk about it. Your, your, your fans, inquiring minds, want to know. Your fan base wants to know when the next <laughs> McCarthy opus is going to be out. But um, Trump's new call uh, or Trump's new guidance calls for vigorous immigration enforcement up on National Review. This is uh, I saw you on, on Twitter as well. And I, I had said this earlier in the day on radio. He's just this is not radical unless you think that enforcing the law is radical. That's exactly right. In fact, the the guidance, which is in a six page memo by uh, General Kelly, now Secretary Kelly of the of the Department of Homeland Security, really could boil down to one paragraph, which is, uh, henceforth, the law of the United States is the law of the United States, uh, which it hasn't been for eight years. For eight years, we were really uh, in the immigration area under the decrees of President Obama, who issued them under the guise of uh what he called prosecutorial discretion, but was really a contortion of that, and which had the operation of law that, that really, at least as long as Obama was president, repealed Congress's laws and imposed Obama's. Are there ways that you can foresee that uh, some people within the bureaucracy, I know the term deep state has become more popular ever since those intel community leaks came out that were intended yeah. to undermine the Trump administration. Are, are there going to be... Uh, do you think immigration courts, prosecutors, judges who find ways to try and get around Trump's very straightforward enforce the law decree? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, you know, the, the, what, the, what, the, what they did with the executive order on travel, uh, mm. can you foresee them doing similar things based on the uh, guidance that was issued yesterday via DHS? I think it'll be harder to do, uh, but it's not to say they won't you know, be some certain uh, impediments put up. Like I I noticed that there was reporting in New Jersey yesterday, just on, you know, local news here uh, about how immigration lawyers were advising illegal immigrants that, you know, while if federal agents had a warrant for your arrest, uh, they could execute that. But if they only had like an administrative warrant, uh, that was not a valid authority to come into your home and seize you. So, you know, th- I guess within the confines of law, there's a lot of things that you are allowed to do in your own defense as well. But that's fine as long as we're playing the game within the parameters of what, uh, you know, Congress's laws and the, and the defenses that are available under those laws are. 
that's fine. I, you know, I don't expect that uh, people who are lobbyists for uh, illegal immigrants are going to be cooperative with law enforcement efforts. But I do think those efforts are taking place within the confines of, of Congress's laws. And I, I think uh, Kelly is a pretty smart guy who will uh, enforce the law within sensible priorities. So uh, I think we're hearing a lot of uh, complaining now, as you would expect, when a policy's just been announced. But I, I expect it'll, you know, after a little bit of growing pains, it'll probably work pretty smoothly. One more for you, Andy, before we're at our top of the hour break here. Tillerson is in Mexico, Secretary of State, speaking to the uh, Mexican President Peña, uh, Peña Nieto, or perhaps he's meeting with his... Oh, I'm sorry, we got two minutes. Okay, so we got some time for a, a, a real uh, real answer here. We don't have to rush, rush through it. Uh, Mexico is, uh, or rather, Mexico is hosting this meeting with Secretary of State. I don't know if it's at the... I assume now it's actually probably at the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs level in Mexico. Uh, but what are your expectations? What do you think that the conversation might go like between the Trump administration's foreign policy top diplomat and Mexico's? Well, as I understand it, Bucky's going to meet with both his counterpart and the president. And General oh, OK, Kelly, yeah. So there that was uh, right by accident. Yeah. And I, th- I think Kelly is going to be there as well. Uh, so I assume that what they're going to talk about is doing. Uh, the kind of border security cooperation that, you know, we have done with Mexico and hopefully will continue to do with Mexico within the context of the these new guidelines. And I imagine uh, what what they the message that they will convey is that while we're going to enforce our laws, the priorities of enforcement are pretty much the same as they were under Obama in that, you know, what what the administration put out yesterday was, you know, if you're a serious law offender, uh, we we intend to enforce the law against you. And the one big thing I think they have to discuss is that catch and release is no longer going to happen. So, you know, people, more people are likely to be, uh, you know, held and then uh, if released, released into Mexico or whatever other country they come from. And uh, All right. you know, how me- how Mexico will take that, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. We'll have to see. <laughs> Andy McCarthy, everybody, of National Review. Andy, you're the man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Buck. All right, team, we'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Our friend Emily Zanotti joins us now. She is the political editor at Heat Street. She is E.M. Zanotti on Twitter. She got all kinds of fun stuff to tell us about. Hey, Emily, what's up? Not much. How's it going? Did you rock out for George Washington's birthday, also known by some plebs as President's Day? I had jury duty, so I did not rock out. 
Is it, <laughs> in, in a way, though, too. isn't that really a celebration of American civic life? It kind is. Of? It was an amazing celebration of sitting in a Can room I just with say, a lot of people. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that you're you're a little spoiled, Emily, because the last time I did jury duty, which this is reminding me, I'm like, are they looking for me? Oh, gosh. Uh, the last time I did jury duty was so long ago, there were no smartphones. If you wanted to entertain yourself, you had to have an old-fashioned book and maybe an iPod, but the kind that just had like a little belt clip on it, and you could just listen to music. Uh, so it was a very different time than now. I feel like people hang out, they watch movies, they can, uh, you know, on, on demand stuff with their Wi-Fi jury because they never. I was always the first person, maybe with one exception, excused from the jury pool. They were like, "Do you do you have a do you have a positive view of law enforcement such that you'd have a hard time believing that law enforcement would lie if it were against a convict, a, a previously convicted criminal?" I was like, yes, I, I do like law enforcement. And I, and I probably wouldn't believe the previous. They were like, okay, next. They asked me if I had a positive view of the government. Really? What did I you say? Like, I, I was like, I report on them for a living, so I'm not really sure I could. I tried to be as nice as possible, but they still booted me. You got booted. So you didn't actually serve on a jury? I did not. No, I just uh, sat around in a room without Wi-Fi for about twelve hours. Yeah, that's, that's what happens. But yeah. it's, you know, it's, it also reminds you you really don't ever you really don't ever want to be judged by that jury. You know, you don't ever want to be oh, in that gosh, position because no. yeah, you, I would never in, in the movies and, and on the television. The the jury is is comprised of usually like wise older men and women who. You know, right. are, are are from everyday life, but they're very contemplative and thoughtful about. I feel like a lot of people that I've had experience around in my jury duty days, um, I would not want them making judgments over the freedom or lack thereof for any individual. But I digress. All right, let's get to some Heat Street stuff. Uh, right. Fantasy Hillary beat Trump website lets Clinton fans pretend she won. This is just creepy. I don't even know what's going on here. Yeah. What is going on? So there's actually a website. It's called HillaryBeatsTrump.com. And if you refuse to believe that Donald Trump actually won in November, if you're part of the resistance, I guess, you can put this as your homepage and it will deliver you news every morning as though Hillary Clinton were president. So there's some stories on there like Hillary Clinton already in top three best presidents of all time. Donald Trump arrested for drug possession. It, it, it's, it's really a fantasy political website just in case you cannot handle reality. So this is fantasy fake news. I mean, CNN is going to lose market share here. Oh, yeah, snap. No, this, is, this is serious fake news. It's above and beyond fake news. <laughs> it's so fun now that they don't pay me anymore. I get to just let it rip whenever I want. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, is, it is above and beyond. It is, it is unabashed fake. It's not even fake news that's upset that it's fake or when you find out that it's fake. No. That's super weird. It's and this site is doing well? This site is doing very well. In fact, it's been bumped up. It's uh, got a new Twitter handle and a Facebook page, and people have put it as their homepage when they log into their computers in the morning. It's doing incredibly well for people who just cannot live, have to live in an alternate reality. You know, I, I know you've got another piece here on Heat Street. University of Washington writing guru declares American grammar racist. Uh, before we get into that, can I just point out that a woman was fired recently for correcting a student's spelling when he was mad about a spelling error that what was it, the department of education website put out or that the school website put out and the yeah. student misspelled his correction of, of a spelling and she corrected his spelling and then they fired her 
So there yeah, seems to be a war on spelling, that. and now there's a war on grammar. Do, do you know that story? What happened with it? I'm, I'm probably missing a detail or two. Yeah, he tried to ask his school if school could be canceled, and he kept spelling your instead of you are he was spelling it y-o-u-r and the school administrator just popped on and thought it was hilarious and she's like well maybe you should be going to school because your is actually spelled y-o-u apostrophe r-e and that got her fired the school said that that was uncalled for that their business is not teaching students how to spell apparently and so she lost her job yeah that that is that's a war on spelling i'm gonna go o'reilly on this one war on spelling for reals. Okay, so sorry. American grammar is racist. Why is that the case? Right. So according to this professor at the University of Washington Tacoma Writing Center, so he's actually the head of the English program and does all of the work with students who are writing for a living. Any kind of grammar or rules about sentence construction or rules about how to write are automatically racist because if people who don't know those rules don't use them, they're less likely to get jobs. They're less likely to succeed in education. So obviously, if we enforce these stringent grammar rules on people who don't understand them, we are discriminating against a bunch of people. Ah, I see. This is like, Mm -hmm. this is a a recurring theme. You know, the S... The SAT is racist, people say. There's all kinds of things that are racist. Right. Yeah, and he actually says it's white supremacist. So now he says that actual grammar people are actual grammar Nazis. And he will give you a workshop if, in fact, you feel that you are white supremacist and you're correcting other people's grammar. He will come to your town and he will give you a workshop on how to not be an actual grammar Nazi. Uh. 30,000-foot question, Emily, stepping back for a second here from the specifics of these stories down in the current events, daily news cycle weeds. Is America getting crazier, or are we just more aware of the crazy because of the Internet and stuff? I feel like the craziest have all gotten Twitter, and that's how we know about it now. <laughs> I, I guess it, that, it's we sort of self-selection, right? You've crazy. got the social me- social media yeah. platforms. The more, and I don't mean crazy as in actually clinically crazy. I just mean the the, the wackier people's ideas are, and the more in, in the more out there stuff they say, the more attention they get. And so it feels like there are so many people who believe. I don't know if you saw last night. We're going to play it later on the show. Uh, Tucker Carlson had on a woman who was saying. Oh. Not that Trump and Pence were were Hitler or at Hitler level, because obviously that's not that's not fair. Right. They're worse than Hitler because they have nukes. Right. Yes. This is something that an adult, a, a sentient being and an adult was saying. What? It, apparently she'd been on before. Like, this isn't the first time she's grown up crazy. <laughs> wow. That is that is a whole next level. Oh, uh, Stockholm Syndrome, by the way. Let's talk about this for a second. I hit this last night on the night show. Uh, Stockholm Syndrome riot hit Swedish migrant community after drug arrest. What happened here? Yeah, so uh, Stockholm, Sweden actually happens to be one of the most segregated migrant communities in Europe. And a lot of their illegal immigrants, or not illegal immigrants, but their immigrants that have come from Syria and other places in the Middle East are stuck in what amounts to a ghetto, essentially. And so on Tuesday night, one of these ghettos actually exploded, literally exploded. There were uh, riots, there was flame, there were cops being hit by rocks and bricks because the 
police officers went into the ghetto to arrest a single person on a drug charge and everything just went crazy. So it's, it's a bizarre situation, but strangely well-timed because Donald Trump had talked about last week that Sweden was dealing with an immigrant crisis, that they were dealing with an uh, uptick in crime. And here, right on Tuesday night, we have an example of how the Europeans handling this immigration crisis, it's not exactly working. Uh, have you ever been to Sweden? I have never been to Sweden. Sweden is an interesting place. And I think that it's it's fascinating because people start to, there's the perception that the world has of Sweden. And then, first of all, I was there it was wintertime. So Stockholm oh. in like January is not a place you want to be, period, full stop. Uh, no matter what the locals look like and everything else, because because some of that's because some of the the happy rumors, some of the happy rumors are true. Um, but it's also a place where they have the, the it's very orderly and it is very clean, it is very safe. All those things are true. But when it comes to the migrant community, what people are finding out is there's also a a, a, a I don't know if you call it a a benevolent totalitarian streak. That's not right, but that there is a, a totalitarian streak. In Swedish society, you know, you're not allowed to say certain stuff uh, and, and they'll even arrest you for it. And this is this exists in other European countries, too. And the migrant issue, I think it's interesting to watch this play out because you've got all these. Uh, and I think also, but why do we use the term? I want to ask you this question before I even go on with my little Sweden, uh, my little Sweden digression here. Uh, why do we call them migrants instead of just immigrants? I think isn't that it? whenever we talk about European immigrants, Muslim immigrants primarily right. into European states, where it's always reported on as migrants. Do you have a theory on this? My theory is that we don't want that the people don't want the comparison to be as explicit as it would be if we were talking about immigration problems in Europe. So we're always told that they're migrant right. problems. No, these are immigrants. These are immigrants. They come from Syria. They come from further down in the Middle East. They come through Greece for the most part. And they generally do refer to them as migrants, I think, because the word immigrant has negative connotations, perhaps. There's lots of immigrant problems in the European Union, but migrant seems to refer to a very specific group of people, almost as though they don't want you to think about this group of people right off the bat as being negative or having a negative connotation associated with them. Yeah, I, I I think your analysis on that about the connotation is is definitely correct. And by the way, I, I you know there's no from what I understand there's no real answer here. It just seems to be yeah. something that has happened and we all accept. But also migrants to me tends to evoke a more well the movement of people even before there were nation states. So this is the natural order mm-hmm. of things that people migrate from one you know uh, you know uh, pe- people migrate from one place to another. You know, birds migrate south for the winter. People will migrate for work. This is natural. This is what this is what people do, right? That that the movement of people right. and population is just the natural order of things. I think that's what because otherwise it just seems to me me to be bizarre because you keep hearing about the migrant problem in Europe, and I'm like, oh, you mean the the immigration problem, the the immigration immigrants that are coming into Europe from other places? There's no there is no difference between people from name a country, Libya, showing up in Italy. And the issues that that's causing and the the legal, I mean, no difference in terms of terminology that we should use. And somebody from Libya who wants to come to the United States, that's still an immigrant or refugee problem. It's no different because we call them migrants. I just think it's weird. It is weird. Yeah. And it also suggests a permanency. So a migrant 
seems to just be someone who's picking up and leaving and then going to the next state and leaving there for a little while and then picking up and leaving. So we have this movement of people that's happening and it's all natural. And it, it's really not. It's pushed by the people who are actually immigrating from country to country. And I think it's also fascinating to watch the uh, the ecosystem of immigration playing out in Europe versus what it's like here in, in America, where it's especially when we talk about countries like Sweden and Denmark, uh, 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 Amsterdam. I mean, well, Amsterdam's not a country, the Netherlands. Uh, when you look <laughs> at those different countries, though, and you see how the immigrant issue, the immigrant question is always, you always have to put it in the context of this is a much smaller place, right? So when Sweden right. brings in a couple of hundred thousand uh, refugees a year and refugees being distinct from immigrants in the sense that they are fleeing some sort of violence or persecution. And so it's really for humanitarian reasons, not for these people are going to hit the ground running and contribute to the economy reasons, which is usually what people try to do or countries try to do with their immigration policies. But Sweden has like 15, 12 or 15 million people, I think, in the whole country. So it would be like yeah. every year, uh, the, the greater in the greater New York City area, you were piling a couple hundred thousand people in from disparate uh, cultures and they need a lot of help, and there are problems that come from this. There's 190,000 people who have entered Sweden in the last five years. So the uptick in violence has been very clear just because of the number of people. So, I mean, that's 200,000. That's almost you know, a huge chunk of their population. So it is interesting to see how the country is responding even just to Donald Trump. And saying, oh, no, there's no problems. Well, when you absorb 190,000 people at any given time, there's going to be problems. Sweden has a population, just to, so I can be clear with everybody, of, of around 10 million. I think I said 12. So, yeah, it's about okay. that. Uh, and no, that was that's on me. I'm just saying I like, I like to keep it real and keep it accurate up in the Freedom Hut, Emily. Uh, but <laughs> it is also interesting to watch how Americans are very interested in, in immigration issues with Sweden, with Germany, with these other countries. Because and, and the reason we're also interested, and everyone knows this, but people don't seem in the media to want to talk about it, is we're like, okay, well, that's happening there. Why are we not supposed to take any lessons from that for how we do things right. here? I think that I think that many journalists think that that connection is problematic. And so while they report on this stuff, usually they can report on international affairs however they want. And a lot of Americans don't really care all that much unless it involves, you know, the troops, military, national security, terrorism. Uh, but immigration in Europe. Oh, no. People pay attention to this. So uh, keep writing about it on Heat Street. All right. We, we got a deal. We'll do. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Heatstreet.com is the place to go. Emily Zanotti is their political editor. If you want to tell her some things, send her tips, or just tell her how much she is an awesome addition to the Team Buck family, you write her at emzanotti uh, on Twitter, right? Good place to go. That's perfect. All right. High five, Emily. Thanks for calling in. We'll have you back soon. All right. Sounds good. All right, team. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. So, Spicy Spicer, I think he should embrace the nickname. I heard Trump said he shouldn't, but I disagree with that guidance, although I suppose it's not up to me. I'm not technically the commander-in-chief or the leader of the free world. Boo-hoo. Uh, but Spicer addressed the issue of mass deportations, and here is what he said. Play it, please. Is one of the goals here mass deportation? 
No. This isn't, look, I, I think what we have to get back to is understanding a, a couple things. There's a law in place that says, you know, if you're in this country illegally, um, that we have an obligation to make sure that the people who are in this na in our country are here legally. What the order sets out today is ensures that the million or so people that have been adjudicated already, uh, that there's a, uh, that ICE prioritizes, creates a system of prioritization, and make sure that, that we walk through that system in a way that protects this country. This is consistent with everything the President has talked about, which is prioritizing uh, the people who are here who represent a threat to public safety or have a criminal record. Uh, and all this does is lay out the exact procedures to make sure that the, that, that subgroup of people who pose a threat to our nation because of a conviction or a violation of public safety or have a criminal record are adjudicated first and foremost. That, that's it, plain and simple. So that's what the administration is saying. Of course, a lot of people seem to not uh, believe what they are saying. Um, uh, a lot of people seem to think that the administration is preparing to surprise them with some massive uh, series of deportations out of the country. But that is not, e even if the end goal here of the Trump administration is to reach a point where they have deported a lot of people who are here illegally out of the country. The way to do it is a step-by-step, -step, you know, slowly turn up the heat process, I think. Um, do many different things at once and fix all the broken parts of the system. I was advocating for the step-by-step -step approach back when Romney was running for the presidency. And I think many other conservatives see it this way as well. Don't don't make any huge sweeping, you know, don't pretend this is a massive change. And they're not. They're just saying we're going to enforce the law and they're going to change the environment. And as they begin to change the environment, I believe they'll change perceptions. Here is what the Trump administration, I think, realizes about what it's going to do on immigration. They need to show results and they need to continue to have uh, political support from the American people for this. So those two things have to move simultaneously. So as they show results, there will be even more political support. As they show seriousness about the issue, they will have greater latitude to deal with other issues. And I see this as working out very well. Uh, I really do for the country, for the American people. So I am uh, hopeful on this on this score. Uh, 888-900-3393, team, if you want to call in. Don't forget, go to iTunes and type in Buck Sexton with America Now. You can download that show and please subscribe. If you're on iTunes, subscribing is the best way to go, the best thing you can do. So please do subscribe. And uh, team, we'll be back in just a few minutes. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you, as always. I, I, I'm a little jealous of that Tucker gets to have the craziest leftists on his TV show night in and night out, and and he gets to, to spar with them. I, I would love it. I really wish 
that I could get some loony lefties to come and even just on radio, I don't have a TV show these days, uh, but even on radio to just give me the opportunity to go toe to toe with their most insane criticisms. Uh, I think it would be well, well worth it. Uh, well worth it to be sure. And I, I never really get that. I'm, I'm hoping with the new show, uh, which, by the way, is on iTunes. Everybody get excited. American Now, Buck Saxon with American Now, the uh, syndicated show at night, is available on iTunes. You go into, Bucks, go into iTunes, type in Buck Sexton. Please subscribe. All of you who subscribe to this show, I, I'm asking you as, uh, as a Team Buck person, as somebody who I cannot thank enough and uh, I'm deeply appreciative of each one of you that listens to this show, uh, but I would love it if you would please subscribe to uh, Buck Sexton with America Now. Just go on iTunes and type in Buck Sexton and you click subscribe and you will be good to go. And that way, if you're not available 6 to 9 Eastern to listen, you'll have the show waiting for you whenever you want to uh, Whenever you want to do it. And I've got fantastic guests lined up for tonight. It's going to be a really, really good show. So it's going to be huge. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, it is going to be huge, but not huge with a Y. So uh, I would, it would be great if you tune in. I'm very excited we're on iTunes now because that makes the uh, podcast listening much easier. So again, Buck Sexton with America Now is on iTunes. Uh, log in iTunes, check it out. And it will be on other platforms as well as, of course, iHeart. Uh, but it'll be on other platforms uh, soon. So uh, with all that said, last night you get Tucker squaring off with a woman who is saying something that I know it's going to sound a little crazy to you. And I, I understand because it is crazy, I understand why you would feel that way. Um, but keep in mind that there are serious journalists, at least so-called serious journalists out there, who in fact are um, are pushing this theory, are uh, of the belief that uh, Trump is a fascist, that he's an, a Nazi. And anybody who has even a passing familiarity with the Second World War and with the rise of Nazi Germany and, of course, with the atrocities committed during the, uh, during the Third Reich, uh, anybody who is aware of that would be, I think, uh, offended and, and rightfully so. And not that I, I like people going and taking offense, but when you start invoking World War II and you're, you're really de- demeaning World War II, uh, when you start doing all of that, what you find out very quickly is is that your argument should not be taken seriously. Your argument cannot be taken seriously. And I, I just have to say that, for me at least, you know, this is now something that you'll hear from a whole lot of people all over, all over the uh, journalist sphere, that they'll make these comparisons to Nazi Germany and they think that they're being clever in this process by doing so. And it's just, or or they're being forget clever. They're they're being morally courageous, which is just insane. Um, but I want to play for you, Tucker. But you're hearing this. I, this is from Rolling Stones. Matt Taibbi. This is all over the place. Uh, the this is this is Hitler like. This is Hitler like. Uh, it's not Hitler like at all. But people just say this because it makes them feel good to stand up against the Trump administration. And Tucker has Sansara Taylor from the group Refuse Fascism on her show and it is 
a remarkable exchange. Let's Wake get up. to because it. Because he is more. They describe it as illegitimate, a cabal of, quote, white supremacists, women haters, science deniers, religious fundamentalist zealots, and warmongers who will eventually start a nuclear war. We're joined now by Sinsara Taylor. She's an organizer with Refuse Fascism. Sinsara, joining us. So I was reading your um, your manifesto tonight, and, and you said this. The Trump regime is a fascist regime. No insults or exaggeration. That's what it is. For the future of humanity and the planet, we the people must drive this regime out. So I'm assuming you're not a, a moderate, necessarily. But the obvious question arises, which is, if it's a fascist regime, how are you on the show? Look, Donald, we're facing... I just, I just want to jump in here for a second, because I didn't get the chance to uh, debate this woman, and uh, I am... I'm envious of the uh, battles with loony lefties that others get to have because they're just they're willing to go on air and look foolish against a conservative host just because they're so they're so desperate for the exposure, I suppose. Uh, But this whole idea that Trump is a fascist and that Trump is destroying the First Amendment, if Trump were really a fascist destroying the First Amendment, it would be an act of courage to go out publicly and say that he is uh, terrible and a fascist and all these other things. But everyone says this all the time with no consequence whatsoever. The major newsrooms and major newspapers across the country are all basically in agreement here. And yet people stand up and say, well, I'm a brave, I'm a hero. Trump is a fascist. He's shutting down the First Amendment. If he's shutting down the First Amendment, he's pretty bad at it, considering that now, most of the people that I know on, on Facebook who write about politics, people that I know in private life, not professionally, they're all just, they, they have to one-up each other on how terrified of Trump they are. They have to constantly be reinforcing the narrative that Trump is the most horrific and terrifying human being ever. And when they, when they have to get to the specifics of it, it's always based on his rhetoric. It's not what he has done. What has he done that's so bad? I want to ask these people who think that Trump is the Antichrist, and and I really do believe some of them have gone to that place with at least their rhetoric if they don't believe it in their hearts because they're trying to get attention for themselves. I I really would like to know uh, what what has happened in their day-to-day life that has brought them to this point where they think that they have to say the most terrible things imaginable about Donald Trump. I'm just curious. I think it would be worth it for uh, all of us to hear from them. Where are these atrocities? I mean, you're going to make Hitler compare. Remember, they're not even making Mussolini comparisons, which, you know, Mussolini's political style, you can get into the strong man, the trains run on time, the the involvement in industry and the cronyism. And there's a lot of Mussolini fascism that and of course there's a much darker side to it and he joined the they joined the, uh, as an ally of the Nazi regime uh, but I'm just saying at least with Mussolini you're not you're not going Hitler right away but the left with Trump is going Hitler and I should also point out people who did not like Obama including a majority of those who were on the fringe of the right who did not like Obama uh, they were not pretending that Obama was Hitler they maybe thought Obama wasn't born in this country and any number of other problematic and false ideas, but they didn't think he was Hitler, at least not that I recall. And there certainly weren't people willing to go on TV. You know, this is easy. Pr- prove me wrong if I'm wrong with this. Show me a clip of somebody on a major 
television broadcast who is saying that Barack Obama, in the first month of his presidency, is Hitler. Nobody was saying that. So this isn't normal. There's no comparison being made between left and right on this. But while on the one hand, the left complains about normalizing Trump, oh, don't normalize Trump. The truth is that the left has gone in the far opposite direction of making Trump almost some sort of uh, of extraterrestrial being of hate. I mean, he, he's beyond this earth with his evil. And I always want to ask, well, this is a guy who's a who's a billionaire from New York City who obviously has a fondness for uh, attractive women and loves his family and likes fancy cars and flying around in airplanes. And I just, I, and likes being on TV. He likes to be liked. Obviously, the position that he's taken now has involved a lot of hate for him too. But as Hitler, really? Hitler. Wow. Okay. But fascism, that's what they're saying. I want to continue with a little more of this. This is a very amusing interview between uh, Tucker and Sansara Taylor from Refuse Fascism last night on Fox. Emergency. Humanity is facing an emergency. A fascist regime has seized the reins of power in the most powerful, actually the sole superpower in the world. Trump and Pence are operating out of Hitler's playbook. Only they have nuclear weapons. And what RefuseFascism.org is saying to the world is that while it's beautiful... Wait, it's hold, hold on, hold on one second. Trump and Pence are operating at Hitler, Hitler's playbook, but they have nuclear weapons. That's That suggestion she makes there is that this is new. Let's just, let's just all mark the calendar. Today is the first day I've heard this. Trump and Pence are therefore more dangerous than Hitler. Oh, wow. And now this isn't some woman... That they found, you know, in in the park with broken vials near her, and they, you know, they cleaned her up and put her on TV. I mean, this is somebody who is well spoken. Uh, this is somebody who is a leader of some group. I'm sure the group has probably three or four members, but she's she's articulate, certainly articulate enough, and she's on TV saying that Trump is worse than Hitler. Okay, let's keep going with this righteous that millions of people have stood up in protest and continue to do so and by the way since i know he sometimes watches president trump if you're watching way more people have protested than we're at your nazi inauguration but while this is beautiful this resistance needs to grow and people need to confront that this is a fascist regime that could drop the hammer and close down it's working aggressively to close down the space for people to stand up and resist and so in the name of humanity Seven billion on this planet. We need to pour into the streets and say, no, we refuse to accept a fascist America. We refuse to accept this for the world. And we must drive them out. We need to stay it, in the streets. I mean, so- ah, there it is. The piece de la resistance. Get her a show on MSNBC, everybody. She'd fit right in. She'd be. I, I think she's actually auditioning for a show on MSNBC. This is why it's so hard for people to take the press seriously, because so many of these different media outlets, not not, obviously Fox is on the other side of this equation, but so many of these media outlets like to hold on to their journalistic credentials and their sense that they are uh, more informed. And quite honestly, their their opinions mean more than other people's, not just because they have greater reach, but because they're just better people. They're more important. But they also want to be political activists. And that's what you see across much of the media, most of the 90% plus of the media. And you have this woman, and she'd fit right in over at MSNBC. I want to, you can hear a little bit of Tucker's uh, rejoinder here. And you can look at, see the look on his face if you go back and check out the clip. It's up on uh, Mediaite. And you can tell he's, he's, there's a part of him that's just like, you, you got to be, this lady's wacko bird land. This is crazy. 
So many questions come to mind, but the obvious one is this. I always thought that the day somebody got up, a Republican, and said, you know what, we've got to focus on jobs, no more pointless wars in the Middle East, and by the way, I'm a secular guy, they would say, you know, it's kind of my kind of Republican. You um, know, I mean, a man who- This is a very important point. I've been making it too. Trump is not supposed to be so scary to the left. He shouldn't be. He's not conservative. He's not ideological. I mean, if they were up late at night in a cold sweat because of a president, Ted Cruz, I'd kind of understand that because uh, I don't think that Cruz had any intention of wavering. And I think that Ted Cruz really believed uh, really believed in the positions that he was pushing for. I think that stylistically I have some problems with Cruz, but that's just my political commentary criticism. Um, but I, I do think he believes what he stands for. And it's a question of how he presents himself that I think was sometimes less than effective. Uh, but Trump is, as I was saying before, with the fast cars and planes and you know supermodels, this is the guy the Democrats are so terrified of? A, a guy who already has... Uh, seemingly modified his position a little bit on immigration by saying that dreamers are not going to be deported. So he's that, that's a concession to the other side. I, I think it's an understandable one. Uh, I know some people in the Republican Party, a lot of people in the Republican base uh, oppose it, but that's conciliatory. That's not the act of a strong man. Um, and look, he, he has criticized the courts, but shouldn't it be noted that he has abided by the court's decision, and they're now coming out with a new executive order. So he has, in every way that is meaningful, he has uh, gone gone ahead and recognized the legitimacy of the court, and yet we're always told that somehow he's, you know, he's Hitler, he's terrible. Here's more. Campaigned and said, I long for the days when protesters were dragged out on stretchers who offered to pay the bills of people who assaulted protesters at his rally. Donald Trump is a fascist. That's okay. out of Hitler's playbook. This so, is this is a danger to humanity. Okay, so and yes, it's in its early that, stages, but people okay. need to rise up and stop. Very important point coming here. Late. Okay, so but uh, I want to get to that. Rise up and stop it. So I'm assuming... I mean, you're not serious. I mean, this is like play acting for you. If you really thought he was Hitler, if you really believed that he was acting according to, as you said, the playbook of Hitler, then you wouldn't stop with going on a cable show. I mean, you'd go all the way, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? A question she doesn't want to answer. All this Hitler stuff is just the childishness of the progressive left coming out, and it's important for us to see it. Our team got to hit a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, I went a bit long in that last segment, so we're going to have a quick one here today. I just want to tell you that I will be on uh, Fox Business right at the top of the next hour, so 2.07 Eastern Time. I'm also going to be on Kennedy tonight in the 8 p.m. hour, also on Fox Business, so check me out there. Please subscribe to America Now, uh, Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. You can check it out there. Obviously, download today's show here on the Blaze Radio, and you can listen to me on the Blaze Radio stream from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. But uh, Fox Business, 2.05 Eastern, coming up here in just a few minutes, and then 8.10, I think, or 8.15, around there, Eastern tonight. So we've got a lot going on. 
And uh, please tune in if you can. And join me tonight on radio. And Team Buck, I want to hear from some of you. Give me a call tonight on radio. Until then, my friends, as always, no matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, you know the order. Shields high. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.